This morning we're going to look at the account of Gideon. Gideon is a, a story really of a farmer, and he appears to have been a guy who just really kind of enjoyed his trade, did what he did. Uh, he wasn't looking to uh, be anything else other than a farmer. We don't have any records of him uh, trying to have any kind of uh, military, political, religious ambitions. He was just a, a farmer. Gideon's a story in the Old Testament, and it's kind of unique because it's, a, it's an account of God uh, making a hero out of a very unlikely person. What's unique about the story is that it's not just about the exploits of Gideon, but if you read the story of Gideon, it's just really a hundred verses. It's uh, three chapters in the Old Testament. But as you read through it, you not only see God, um, uh, these, these exploits that he did, but we also begin to see the transformation. We begin to see change that takes place. So we're going to take the next couple of weeks. I believe that God is looking for Gideons today. I believe he's looking for men and women who are willing to hear his voice, to be challenged, and to do something great for him. How many of you believe you could do something great for God today? Right? I believe that. I believe God wants to do that in our life. We're going to be reading from Judges chapter 6. Like I said, it's actually about three chapters, roughly 100 verses. Before we do, I want to give you a little background to the story. We need to take a little bit of time to set it up so that we get a hold of the picture. Um, Israel had uh, at this point Israel had judges and that judges cycle in Israel um, really was one of their darkest times I think in in history before before uh, Israel had uh, kings they had judges before they had judges they had prophets before they had prophets they had leaders leaders like Abraham Isaac uh, Jacob Moses they were all leaders. When we hear about people talking about Abraham and Isaac, we hear about people talking about Moses. That, this is the area of the world where those guys reigned from, where they came from, where they lived, where they ruled. And God had promised Abraham that he would give him more descendants than the seas of the sand. And it, is, it was God's intent all along, it was always God's intent that Israel would be a different people. Instead of being a people that had kings and rulers in place, God always wanted Israel to be led by him instead of led by some ruler. He actually, when uh, Israel wants to uh, bring Saul up as a king, when they want a king, God actually warns them. He said, this is not what I want for you. So he didn't want them to be like everybody else. Through Moses, we get the first five books of the, New Test of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We get the law. After Moses was the ruler, then Joshua led, and he took the children of Israel into the promised land. So after Joshua had defeated all the enemies of Israel, and he established the tribes of Israel in the promised land, Joshua dies. Does anybody remember, does anybody know, for so it was, it was Moses was the leader, and then he handed reign over to Joshua, who reigned after Joshua? Does anybody remember who was the leader after Joshua? No one. No one led after Joshua. Instead of appointing another military leader, God would occasionally raise up judges, men and women, who would lead Israel against their enemies. And the reality is uh, they had 
to fight these enemies because of their own disobedience. They led themselves into trouble is what it amounts to. Nevertheless, God's gracious. So this period of the Judges is actually one of the lowest periods in Israel's history. The last verse of the book of Judges actually says this. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's the last verse in the book of Judges. There was no king. Everyone did right. It did what was right in his own eyes. How does that usually go for us? Not real good. You generally can't even have, I don't know, three people in a room and let them do what's right in their own eyes and get it right. When we choose to do things our way, we usually end up going astray. That's not even in my notes. I just came up with that on the fly. So Judges actually records seven cycles of sin that spanned about 300 years. The cycles begin the same way, every one of them. Begins with compromise. After compromise, there's disobedience, which results in bondage and leads in misery every time. Every one of those cycles. You read through it, that's how, that's how it goes. And then God would raise up a judge or a leader and call his people back, and the result was, this, again, it was the same pattern. There was repentance, then there was deliverance, then there was rest in the land, and then there was revival. It's the way it happened every time. But as soon as life got easy, as soon as things started kind of going along nice and smoothly, what would happen? People would begin to compromise just a little bit. Just a little bit. God said, go this way. And we're like, okay, we're going to go that way. But really, you know, God, this is not, you know, it's okay if I go just this way, right? They compromised just a little bit. And as they did, it would lead them down that cycle. See, They'd go from these years of prosperity to wandering. And that we see that cycle over and over in the Old Testament. Actually, in the Old Testament, we see 17 times where the children of Israel wander off. In Judges here, we have seven uh, seven cycles here in the the Judges. But actually, in the Old Testament, there are 17 times when Israel does that. They wander off. And then they'll bounce back, and they'll be faithful for a while. Does that sound even remotely familiar to anything we might face in our life? Just a little bit. Like, like, like we kind of get off and get ourselves in trouble and all of a sudden we decide, okay, I got to get back and I got to get right with God and I get right with God and then that goes okay for a while and then the next thing you know, we find ourselves, you know, it's okay, life is good, everything's good, family's doing good, everybody's doing good. Next thing you know, we just kind of drift a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Don't judge Israel too hard because that's kind of how it still happens today. Turns out that Gideon was one of these local judges that God raised up to deliver this localized group of people uh, from, from a tribe known as the, the Midianites and the Amalekites. And we keep all these things in mind when we read the story of Gideon. We usually think of, of, of heroes, you know, we think of like John Wayne. I mean, man, we're... we're we, George Patton, you know, we think of somebody who's got charisma and personality and they're strong and they've, they've got it all. And instead, we get a picture of Gideon. One author says of Gideon that he was a coward. As I read through the account, I don't see Gideon so much as a coward, but I see him as a man who was defeated. Anybody ever felt defeated? Felt like it's, uh, you're just kind of under, like there's no way 
to get above it. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1. The Israelites, he starts right out, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, in caves, and in strongholds. Get that picture. The only place that Israel felt safe was tucked away someplace. There's a, there's a hole, a cleft in the side of the mountain or a cave. So instead of having a house out in the middle of the country, they're tucked away back here somewhere so that they're safe, so that when an enemy comes, they can hide and not be seen. They're tucked away. Bold, brave, strong, right? Whenever Israelites, the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and other eastern people invaded their country. They camped on the land and they wound the crops all the way to Gaza and they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so, impover Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. They were so tired of being run over and overrun and beaten up and trampled down that they finally got to the point. Because the chapter starts out by saying, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and God hands them over. And they finally get sick and tired of it, and they call out to God. So you get the picture here. Israel gets themselves in hot water by doing evil. They, they do what's wrong. And folks, I'm telling you, we've got to look in a mirror. We find ourselves in trouble. This is, you know, I know people often have compassion when you're in trouble most people don't like coming to me for counseling because they start to tell me their story and the first thing I say is well, what did you do to get there because at some point we tend to kind of walk away so Israel finally cries out Judges 6 and verse 7 when Israel cried out to the Lord because of Midian he God sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors, I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land, I said to you, I am the Lord your God, do not worship other gods, the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you live, but you did not listen to me. They call out to God, and God sends them a prophet, a prophet. Dude, send a deliverer. Don't send me a prophet. The prophets, most of the time, if you look at prophets in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, if you see a prophet, you better look for judgment. Look for judgment. God is sending a warning. He's sending a warning. Here he sends a prophet, and that prophet warns Israel. He's like, this is what I did all these things for you, and yet you chose to walk away. You're getting what you deserved. So God sends in this prophet, points out their history. God delivered you here, 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 and yet you didn't listen to me. Verse 11. So you've got to understand. I think what happens here is that Israel recognizes this as a nation, as a people. They recognize what they've done. So they're calling out for help. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak tree in Ophrah, not Oprah, in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, 
where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. The mighty warrior was threshing grain in a wine press. You don't thresh grain in a wine press. You thresh grain out where the wind blows. You grain, you throw the grain up in the air, and as you throw the grain up in the air, the wind blows by, and it takes all that chaff off of it. That's what threshing grain is all about. You, you, you crush it, you dry it, you, 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 you move it, and instead Gideon is in a wine press where there's probably no air, no oxygen. No, you know, he's got to move it, he's got to fan it, he's got to, because he's a mighty warrior, right? Well, the angel saw Gideon as a mighty warrior, even though Gideon didn't see Gideon as a mighty warrior. I believe that the trouble that the world is in today, God sees an awful lot of us as Gideons, even though we don't see ourselves as Gideons. He sees a lot of potential in you that you don't see yourself because you know yourself. You know your weaknesses. You know your frailties. You know your fears. And God says, I see so much more than that in you. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding out, Scripture says, to keep it from the Midianites. Judges 6, starting in verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replies. Hang on. Hang on, hang on. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that the ancestors told us about? They said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us. He's given us into the hand of Midian. Anybody ever been there? Have you ever said, oh God, you're supposed to be so great. I go to church, Pastor Tim talks about all your greatness. Why isn't, what's going on? How come I don't see any of that? Where are you, if we're the children of God, how come this is what's going on around us? If we're supposed to be the church, how come we're struggling? If this is what life is supposed to be, what's going on? Anybody or is it just me? Because I'm telling you, you don't have to, don't, don't raise your hand, it's all right. You don't have to do that. We question God all the time, don't we? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes we question whether he's really, really, if you're really real, why am I going through this? Our ancestors told us all kinds of great things. We go to church, we hear all kinds of great things, but not in my life. I went to that Friday night, testimony night. You didn't move in my life that way. There's always, we always Stuff goes on. It seems like there are times when, when we're hiding out in a wine press. I'm like, we've just, God, I just don't even want to, I'll go to church, I'll do my gig, I'll do what I need to do, but don't ask, I don't, I'm not sure where I'm at anymore, God. Like I said before, we feel overrun and run over. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many people I heard this year saying, they don't even want to turn their clock back for daylight savings time. They feel like they've been so beat up in 2020, they don't want one more hour of it. No way. You know, 11.59, we're going to gather together, and we're all going to take one more, one toast and fire this year and look forward to something else. We've had enough. 
And we're not done yet. That's the worst part. 2020, there's more coming. <laughs> the only positive thing about turning our clock back is it was 2 o'clock in the morning. We got an extra hour of sleep. So Gideon here is questioning the angel, where are all God's wonders? And this is the reply that he gets. In verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replies, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. Now that sounds like God. He's going to take the least. He's going to take the, the least of the least, and that's who he's going to use. Two things, as I read through this, kind of contribute to that defeated attitude that he has. First of all, there's a bitterness towards God. Where, where are you at in all of this, God? I hear about your great wonders. I hear about your great, your, your great moving in my life, and yet I don't see it. And then, not only does he have that struggle where he hasn't seen God move, but he also sees himself as the smallest and the weakest and the least qualified of anybody. You want to pick a warrior, pick a warrior. Don't pick me. How am I going to deliver anybody? I can't even deliver the mail. What do you want? I'm in a wine press threshing with How am I going to do anything? So he's got that mindset. You got the wrong guy. I want you to notice something here. In verse 14, the angel of the Lord says to him, go in the strength that you have. Now that's not how Christians are supposed to think, right? I mean, we always say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the angel told him, go in the strength that you have. And we're thinking like, Hey, Pastor, a couple of weeks ago you said some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord of God. Don't trust in yourself. But he doesn't tell Gideon to trust in himself, but he tells him to go in his own strength. I love using chairs. Chairs make great props. Last week my chair up here was a recliner. A couple of weeks ago I've used them as a, as a level of balancing. Well, here you have to imagine Peter. Peter's out in a boat going across the lake with all the other disciples. I've got a great boat here. And he sees Jesus walking across the water. And they're not sure. I mean, is this Jesus? Is this a ghost? Who is this? And Peter kind of gets all excited about it. And Peter's like, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And I can almost see Jesus going, come. He's walking on the water. Jesus is like, if that's you, bid me to come. Tell me to come out there. And what does Jesus do? Does he magically raise his hand and say abracadabra and lift Peter out and set him on the water? No, nope. he tells Peter, if you're going to walk on water, you got to do it in your own strength. you got to get out of the boat. <laughs> Walking on the water, that's going to take Jesus. But getting out of the boat? Think about it. Think about it. We think about this way too quick. We read it. Here's Peter watching the waves I'm in the boat. Get out. Really? Get, you're telling me I can get out now. Okay, you told me I'm going to get out now. I'm getting out, Lord. He's got to reach over. Okay, I'm splashing. I'm splashing. 
The guys are laughing. I'm like, you're going to get out of the boat? I think I'm getting out. Well, you think you can walk on it? I'm not really sure. Hey, look at that. Feels kind of solid. Whose strength did he get out in? His own strength, right? He had to make a move. Gideon had to make a move in his own strength. Isn't this a wonderful boat? What a great boat. Gideon had to get out of the boat himself. He had to get out in his own strength. In other words, we got to get off the couch and we've got to move ourselves. You don't get to say, oh God, I hate the way this world is going. I can't believe it. Somebody needs to reach out to my neighbor. I need you to do something for my neighbor. I need you to do something in my family. I need you to do something in my kids. I need you to do something. God's saying, get up in your own strength, whatever strength you've got, and move in that. At no point are we going to be able to do the miracles on our own. At no point are we going to be able to walk on water on our own. That is about being in him and through him. But he is not going to do it if we're not willing to get off the couch. He told Gideon, go in the strength that you have. And it's, it's not how we think. But, but like, here's the deal. In all our cowardice, in our weakness, in our trembling, in our frailty, we still have to go. I got a call last week. Hey, our family's got this struggle. It's a huge struggle. It's the worst thing we've ever faced. Pastor, we need help. We, we, we've, got a, we've got a struggle. And everything in my office, I'm sitting in my office, and I'm praying, and I'm talking to these folks, and I'm saying, you know, maybe you could deal with it this way. Maybe you could deal with it that way. All of the ways that I was asking them to deal with had me standing in the cleft of the rock someplace. And I knew that God was asking me, in my weakness, in my frailty, to go and to make a difference in this family, to actually confront wickedness. Folks, it's not about us having the power to do all that, but it's about us having the willingness to do it. Peter had to climb out of the boat. So the first picture that we get of Gideon is this picture of him hurt, bitter, hiding out, thinking so little of himself. And then we see a picture of him beginning to step out. Judges chapter 6 and verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none of them alive. And Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you that's talking to me. Please do not go away. Grab a hold of this. Please do not go away until I come back with my offering and set it before you. So, you know, you read the story and you're thinking he's going to go in the house and get a 50 and he's going to lay it in front of him. You know, that's his offering. That wasn't his offering, right? Gideon went inside and he prepared a goat. That doesn't mean he combed his hair. Doesn't mean he put a bow tie on him. Means he butchered him. He prepared a goat. 
and from, from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Lonnie, you just butchered out a deer. How long did it take you to butcher out a deer? You're pretty good. Ten minutes for the first part, all day for the second part. How long does it take to cook a loaf of bread in a wood cook stove where you got to heat up the rocks first? Half a day. You got half a day tied up. He's like, just as a sign that you're really talking to me, I need you to hang out so that I can prepare this offering. And I can only imagine. I mean, this is just, my mind just goes here. I could see him inside butchering the goat, getting it all prepared, going back and looking out the window. Ah, he's still here. Get a little bit more done. Ah, still here. Okay, I got to get that done. Start to get the flour, get stuff ready. Still here. I got to keep doing this. We test God, don't we? Are you sure you really want me to do this? I'm like, are you really sure? You hear God direct you, and He's directing you in your heart, and you're like, are you really sure, God? You know, if I go out and the tires are flat on my car, then I know I don't have to go. Ah, shoot, they're all up. If it doesn't start, Lord, if it doesn't start, I'm going to take the battery's been weak for about three weeks. I, I'm going to take it as a sign from you. Boom, starts right. Ah. It's the truth, folks. We do it. Because we're afraid. Because we really don't believe that God could use us to do that. But he's looking for Gideons. He's looking for Gideons who are willing to get off the couch. If we got to question him a little bit, and the Lord said, end of verse 18, I will wait until you return. Ah, oh, great. Gideon went inside, he prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and a broth in a pot, and then he brought them out and he offered them to him under the oak. So Gideon prepares this pot of soup after he's butchered this goat and he's gone and he's made bread and he brings it all out as an offering and the angel of the Lord puts it all together and the angel of the Lord touches the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand and fire flared up from the rock and consumed the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Okay, you're Gideon now. You've just made this bowl of soup. You've prepared this goat. You've made the bread. You bring it all out. You set it on a rock. You got it there. It's all set up, ready to go. You give it to the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord touches it with his staff. And it's gone. Now, half a dozen of you are saying, okay, the next time God asks me to do something, I'm going to wait till there's somebody with a staff and fire coming out of it. The story is far more far more about Gideon beginning to trust. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, 
he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. Gideon goes from this. Here's what happens. He goes from this intellectual understanding of God. He knows the stories. That's why he questioned the angel. He knew the stories. He knew of the deliverance. He knew that God had gone before him. He knew that God had parted the seas. He knew all those things, but he had never experienced God himself. And he questions God all along, and finally he has this encounter with God. You know what we need? We need an encounter with God. We need to know that God has done something mighty among us. That's why I think these nights of testimony nights are so important. That's why I think it's so important to share your story because sometimes you don't even recognize, I don't even recognize how much God it's really taken to get us to this point. It's about God. It's about him and Gideon had this encounter and he realized it and he's like, whoa, I'm ready now. I'm ready, I'm pretty ready. And we see that his faith begins to develop. It's a little shaky at first, but his faith begins to develop. We get these different pictures. It's one thing to meet God in the secrecy of your own wine press when you're hiding out. It's another to begin to stand up publicly for God. Judges chapter 6 and verse 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and he called it the Lord is peace, and to this day it stands in Ophrah, of the Abyssalites. That same night the Lord said to him, take a second bull from your father's herd, the, one, the seven-year-old one. Tear down your father's altar that he built to Baal. Baal was a false god. Cut down his asher pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of its height. Using the wood from the asher pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Are you hearing this? Your dad's got a herd. We already read that he probably doesn't have a very big herd because the Midianites keep coming up and destroying things. But he's got this seven-year-old bull. And he's got an altar where he worships a false god. So what I want you to do is I want you to take your dad's seven-year-old bull, probably his prized bull, and I want you to offer that on an altar that you make from his False God-worshipping station. It's one thing to know that God is real in your own wine press when you're hiding out. It's another thing to stand up and say, we're going to do this. So Gideon took ten of his servants, and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was ball. Baal's altar demolished with the asher pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. And the people of the town demanded, now these are, these are God's people. These are God's people. All of God's people have been hiding out. And Gideon finally stands up and begins to do what's right, and the whole town, all of God's people, are pretty upset with him. The town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die. Because he has broken down Baal's altar. He broke down the altar of the false god, 
And he cut down the Asher pole beside it, but Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him should be put to death by morning. If Baal really is God, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So you see what happens? As Gideon began to stand up for what was right, there were a bunch of people that got angry, but there were also people that began to understand and stand alongside. Anytime you make a change in your life, anytime you begin to allow God to work in your life, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a group of people that are going to say, what is the matter with you? Or oh, you think church is going to be up, and now you're in all churchy people. Oh, yeah, that's really good, but you're going to have people that begin to stand alongside of you. You need to make sure you grab hold of the right crowd. Right? Right? Now, I'm about halfway through. I'm going to stop here. Come back next week for part two or three of this two-part series. We're going to get there eventually. But I want to challenge you this week to be seeking that encounter with God. That means time apart. That means time in prayer. It might mean fasting. It might mean doing some reading that you weren't planning on reading. It might mean having some, some conversations with godly people who are willing to, to challenge you. Gideon is in the process of change. He's gone from hiding out to now doing what's right, but he did what's right in the dark so that nobody saw it. So now his dad is starting to stand up with him. There's a whole process that's going on. So let's just close in prayer today. And again, I'm going to invite you to come on over and have lunch with us. We've got a bunch of soups over there, loaf and ladle, so come and be a part of that. God, I just thank you so much for each person who's here. Lord, I thank you for your word. We'd go back this week and we'd read through it and look at ourselves. God, look in the mirror. Where have we been defeated? Where have we looked and said, oh, sure, God really exists. I know he does, but, you know, I haven't seen it. And we start walking in defeat. God, you don't want us to walk in defeat. You're looking for Gideons. You're looking for people who are going to stand up, who are going to walk uprightly before you, who are going to stand and say, you know what? I need to see you move, God, in my life. We're going to follow after you. Gideon had to step out on his own, but we see as the story continues, it didn't, it didn't stay that way. He stepped out on his own, but then you showed up in major ways. So God, I just pray that you give us the courage to step out where we need to. Step up, step out of the boat. Just begin to follow after you when we need to. Moving our lives, God, I pray. Lord, we've got folks over there helping bless, prepare this food. Bless them. Bless this food to our body. I just pray that as we take it, God, you'd You'd give us nourishment. You'd fill us up. Thank you again for your hope and your life. In Jesus' name, amen.